In the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful. O oh, you who believe, seek help through patience, perseverance, and prayer. Indeed, God is with the patient. And do not say about those who are innocently killed in the way of God, they are dead. Rather, they are alive, but you perceive it not. And be sure that you will be tested with something of fear and hunger and a loss of wealth and lives and fruits of your toil, but give good tidings to those who patiently persevere. Those who when afflicted with calamity or disaster say, indeed we belong to God and indeed to God we will return. Those are the ones upon whom descend blessings from their Lord and mercy. And it is those who are rightly guided. Go on, chapter 2, verses 153 to 157. I am very humbled to be standing before you, very saddened to be standing before you in this event. But at the same time, I'm very proud to be at this event because I see each and every one of your faces here as a testament that we will not let hate dictate what we do. We will not let hate and the speech of hate change the way we think of each other. We will always love each other and we will always be here for each other. I'm positive that each and, one of, each and every one of you is here today for the noble cause of humanity, for the noble cause of being there for your brother and sister, be it your Muslim brother or sister, your Christian brother or sister, your Jewish brother or sister, your Sikh brother or sister, and any other brother or sister. I'm very humbled to be standing before you. We are here collectively to say that we are united against hate. We are here collectively to say that we are united against hate. <laughs> to those who like to spew hate and like to speak the rhetoric of hate, we're very clear about why we're here. We're here because you will not destroy our spirit. You will not destroy our resolve. Again, we are united against hate and those who spew it. We are also here because we agree that terror has no place in our communities. We're here to agree that terror has no place in our places of worship. We are here to agree that terror does not have a religion. Terror does not have a color. Terror does not have an ethnicity. It does not have a race. We are here to say that we are united against terror and we are united against hate. <laughs> on behalf of the Muslim community, on behalf of the Islamic Society of Milwaukee, I would like to thank each and every one of you for being here. And I would like to express our love for each and every one of you. 
And again, I thank you for being here. I would like to call Yasin Najib and Ufera Sheikh to read us the names of those who were martyred in New Zealand. Musa Ibrahim. Sayad Milne, 14 years. Khalid Mustafa and son Hamza Mustafa. Naeem Rashid and son Talha Rashid, age 21. Ansiya Ali Baba, age 25. Arif Vora and son Ramiz Vora. Farhaj Ahsan, age 30. Mujammal Haq, age 30. Ata Al-Ayan, age 33. Sayyid Jahandad, age 34. Hussein Al-Umari, age 36. Usama Adnan Abu Quick, age 37. Kamal Darwish, age 39. Harun Mahmoud, age 40. Hosne Parveen, age 42. Muhammad Imran Khan, age 47. Dr. Amjad Hamid, age 57. Abdul Fattah Qasim Al Doki, age 59. Linda Armstrong, age 65. Ali Al Madani, age 65. Dawood Nabi, age 71. Lilik Abdul Hamid. Sohail Shaheed, age 33. Sayyid Arib Ahmad, age 27. Ghulam Hussein, age 64, and his wife Garam Bibi, age 63, and their son Zishan Raza, age 38. Mahboob Qawqar. Ozer Kadir, age 24. Hafid Musa Patel. Munir Suleiman, age 68. Ahmad Jamaluddin Abdul Ghani, age 68. Abdul Samad, age 66. Zakaria Buyan. Musa Noor Asle, age 77. Mohsen Al Harbi. Junaid Ismail, age 36. Matullah Safi, age 55. Abdul Qadir Almi, age 70. Hussein Mustafa, age 70. Tariq Omar, age 24. Muhammad Omar Farooq, age 36. Ali Isa Huri. Hafiz Shoaib, age 17. Ashraf Al Mursi. Ashraf Al Masri. Abdullah Diri, age 4. And Ashraf Ali, age 58. In honor of these 51 people, let us have 51 seconds of silence, one second for each precious life lost in Christ Church.
Thank you. Next, we have the president of the Milwaukee Muslim Women's Coalition, Sister Janan Najib, with a message on behalf of the Milwaukee Muslim community. Thank you to all of our guests. You fill our hearts uh, with your presence here today. I'd like to thank all of our dignitaries that are here. We cannot <clears throat> announce all of your names, all of the elected officials, all of the law enforcement officials, all of the religious leaders, uh, all of the organizational leaders, and all of our friends and neighbors that have joined us today as our hearts are breaking. On behalf of the Muslim community, we thank you for joining us. It is a reminder that we do not stand alone. We may be children of different traditions, but we stand together in solidarity, recognition, and celebration of our common humanity. Yes, celebration of our common humanity. This is a reminder to our interconnected world, our country, our state, and cities, but most importantly, to ourselves, that we stand united against hate. While we know this tragedy happened halfway around the world, we also know this same hate has impacted us in our own backyard. As Muslims, we believe that if we bring comfort to the heartbroken, we will find God there. If we rush to help the sick and injured, we will find God there. If we feed the hungry and provide drink to the thirsty, we will find God there. If we care for the orphan that cries alone at night, we will find God there. If we give protection for those fleeing for their lives, we will find God there. And when we stand with our neighbor in their hour of need, we will find God there. Surely this evening, God's mercy and knowledge is here. When we think of the unspeakable pain caused by the terrorist who will remain unnamed, we need to recall the words of Ambreen Naim. One of the things that stood out to me as I see the pictures and the names and the many countries of origin is that they are like a United Nations of many countries. Ambreen Naim was on the phone with her 21-year-old son as he was shot and killed at El Noor Mosque in New Zealand. She lost not only her son that day, but also her husband. Yet through her inexplicable pain, with complete calmness, she said that she feels sadness and pity for the terrorist. Because for someone to have so much hate in their heart, it means that they have never really experienced or truly felt love, contentment, and peace. What motivates people to walk so arrogantly on this earth? 
and either cause or instigate such bloodshed and misery. Some are people that truly believe they are a superior form of creation, and they believe in a God that somehow seems to hate the same people they do. Others are failed human beings that need a scapegoat to blame for their failures in life. And then there are others who benefit politically by creating division and discord. It is very unlikely that our founding fathers who came up with the First Amendment imagined the sinister corners of the digital world filled with online hate rhetoric that crosses borders at lightning speed. Hate speech and hate rhetoric have victims. We need to stand together united to reject the growing Islamophobia, xenophobia, anti-Semitism, anti-black, and anti-immigrant bigotry in America and around the world. Okay. It is truly shameful for us as Americans when a white nationalist terrorist in New Zealand, prior to the attacks, calls himself a supporter of President Donald Trump, who he sees as a symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose. We have no credibility as a country when we go halfway around the world to bomb and kill brown people that instigate terror through hate speech, yet we turn a blind eye to white nationalists and white supremacists that live in our midst or work in our government, claiming to represent all Americans, yet spewing hate rhetoric day and night. Today, we say enough. We must stand united against the rhetoric of hate that promotes these type of violent acts. In the words of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, if we don't actively choose to be part of the solution, then it means we're part of the problem. I wanted to end with a letter to the terrorist that was circulating on the internet. People were adding their thoughts to it, I took the liberty of translating a few of the paragraphs. To the terrorist, you taught the world that the Muslim community believes the world is one big family when you were greeted as you approached the door with hello brother. You taught the world that our congregational prayer is Friday afternoon and Muslims do not go armed to the mosque, that we are close-knit families that worship together. You taught the world that white nationalists walk arrogantly into houses of worship, while Muslims bow humbly before their creator. You showed the world that you are the aberration as tens of thousands of New Zealanders came out of their homes to visit the mosques, many that had never been there before. You showed the world that your hate is no match for the outpouring of love and messages of peace from around the world. 
Yes, you have broken many hearts and left a huge void, but you have strengthened our faith and our resolve. You aim to divide New Zealand, and New Zealand responded by rejecting your kind with tougher gun laws and opening their parliament. I must add, it took them six days, six days, to enforce tougher gun laws. And then they opened their parliament with a reading from the Quran as representatives of many faiths came to stand in solidarity. That show of solidarity has been replayed not once, but thousands of times around the world, and tonight in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Maybe one day, maybe one day, racists will finally learn that their tactics will fail. During your life of freedom, you chose to imprison your mind and your soul. Now that your body will rot in prison, we want to offer you a verse from the Quran to think about. You'll have a lot of time to think. God says in the Holy Quran, and among his most beautiful signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the diversity of your languages and colors. Truly in that are divine signs for those who choose to think. Thank you for being here this evening. I would like to invite Imam Naman Hussein for his statement. Good evening, everybody. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and peace be upon all of you tonight. It was not too long ago that many of us were standing together at the synagogue, remembering the lives taken in Pittsburgh. And we see that unfortunately this has become a trend within our communities and our societies a trend of having to come together every time there is a horrific and tragic event of this man. And unfortunately, I'm sorry to say that this will not be the last of them. This will not be the last of them. And I don't say this with any happiness. I don't say this with any pride. This, unfortunately, is going to continue as long as we have hate and as long as hate speech, as long as bigotry, as long as racism, as long as xenophobia, as long as Islamophobia exists within our communities. That's right. As an Imam, when I first saw the news, my heart sunk. Thinking about the moments where I stand in front of my congregation, preaching to them, seeing the beautiful faces of a diverse community, the young, 
the old, the children, the women, the men, some of them bowing their heads down in humility in front of God, and some, quite frankly, overpowered by tranquility and falling asleep during the sermon. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> But for a moment, I stopped and I thought to myself that if this can happen in the safest place, in this one of the safest countries, in one of the safest places within a community, a religious facility, a mosque, then what is there to say that we won't be the next victims? And this thought, has to push us to bring about change within our communities. This thought that we and none of us are safe from such acts of violence and terrorism needs to get us out of our comfort zones and push us to work together as religious leaders, as elected officials, as community members and citizens of this country to change the way that we live in this country. It is the responsibility of every single person in this room that we stand up against hate. And that anytime we hear someone spewing Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, xenophobia, that we are the first ones to speak out because silence is complicity. To those with a voice, with a platform, with an audience, you have a responsibility that your articles, that your statements, that your comments do not border on hate and marginalization, or that perpetrate or perpetuate situations of suspicion and bigotry. People like the terrorist in New Zealand have been emboldened by the rhetoric coming from certain high-profile individuals. The Muslim community, as we sit here tonight, has pulled themselves together in New Zealand and have gathered for the very Friday prayer where their loved ones were killed. As we speak, it is Friday afternoon in New Zealand and they have gathered together, and I can only imagine what an emotional prayer that will be for all of those Muslims and for all of the people of New Zealand that after such a difficult week and after such horrific attacks that we are giving a message to the world that we will not deter, that we will not stop and that we will continue to be who we are and what we will continue to do what we need to, to be real with ourselves and real to our communities. I want to end off with reminding ourselves that this is a teaching of our tradition to always find optimism in everything, to always find hope in every situation. That no matter how difficult or hard, how dark your day may be, hold on to 
the light. And that light is what I see here tonight. This is hope. This is what I call the light. Is it enough, however, for us to come together for a gathering of this sort? To come together to show our sympathies? Is this enough? I'm asking all of you a question tonight. Is this enough that we come together every couple of, uh, or every few months and, and share our sympathies and our, and our sadness with each other? Is this enough? No. I can't hear you loud enough. No. What we need to take from this is to mobilize ourselves and our communities to bring the change that we all want to see, to bring the change that we all have seen and the love that we have seen from the leadership of New Zealand and from the people of New Zealand and to take lesson from this unfortunate situation. Thank you all again. I apologize for taking over the time. I'd like to introduce uh, Pastor Randy Nye from the Bruce City Church. Good evening. I'm gonna be short this evening because I wanna spend this evening listening and learning rather than talking. I'm a pastor of a faith community that sounds kind of crazy. It's called Bruce City Church. And we are a evangelical Christian church. And I've got to tell you, I'm a little bit embarrassed as I stand up here today in front of you. It's no secret that people from my faith tradition have tolerated and even supported and been responsible for the kind of hatred that led to 51 lives being lost in Christchurch. So I have to ask you something very humbly, my Muslim friends. I ask this with as much humility as I can. On behalf of my faith tradition, would you forgive us? On behalf of my faith tradition, would you forgive us for tolerating and spewing hatred and bigotry. On behalf of my faith tradition, would you forgive us for condoning violence and accepting and even pushing white supremacy? Would you forgive us? Can I humbly ask if we can be part of this healing journey together? As I've grown to grown in relationship and friendship with friends like Imam Hussein and Janan and Dr. Shah behind me. What I've found in my Muslim friends is incredible amounts of wisdom more than I have. What I've found in my Muslim friends is incredible amounts of humility. What I've found as an evangelical pastor in my Muslim friends are incredible amounts of respect and beauty and goodness. In scriptures, we're told to mourn with those who mourn. And so I want to tell you, my Muslim friends tonight, that we have been mourning with you. I want to tell you that we've been carrying you in our hearts and we've been praying for you. Those same scriptures, though, in all of our sacred texts, whether it's Muslim, Christian, Jewish, in all of our sacred texts, we find a different story. We're here because of a broken story. We're here be tonight because of what happens 
when hatred gets expressed. But what we find in all of our holy texts is that love triumphs over hate. What we find in all of our sacred texts is that courage triumphs over fear. And what we find, what we find in all of our sacred texts is that unity is greater than division. And so I commit to you tonight, on behalf of my faith community, I commit to you tonight to being a champion for and an advocate for love rather than hate. I commit to you tonight to be an advocate for bravery, both in my evangelical brothers and sisters and my Muslim brothers and sisters. And I commit to you tonight to be an advocate for unity rather than division in Milwaukee, in the faith communities in Milwaukee, in the evangelical church, especially in Milwaukee. I'm humbled to stand with you and speak for many of you. And I'm even more humbled to stand with you in your mourning. To stand with you, a community that gets threatened in ways that I'll never dream of. In front of a community that has to live with fear in ways in your families, in ways that I'll never, I could never dream of. But I want to tell you, I want to stand with you in every way I can, and my faith community does as well. Thank you for having us. I'd like to introduce Rabbi Mark Bergson. I am here as one Jew, trying as best I can to speak on behalf of Milwaukee's Jewish community. As a colleague of mine shared in a similar vigil in her community, we stand with you in solidarity, with compassion as the ripples of fear reached around the world. A few months ago, you stood with us in the Jewish community at our time of fear. As we stand with you in solidarity with our shared commitment to religious freedom. Yet more, for fear and hatred have come to our religious sanctuaries, to our places of safety and warmth and love and devotion, to Al Noor and Linwood in Christ Church, the Tree of Life in Pittsburgh, to Emmanuel AME in Charleston, to the Sikh Temple in Oak Creek. Yet more. For we all know the power of the word. That is how the all-merciful eternal one creates, by speaking. And we, as God's children, we can create with our words. We all know from the Bible and from the Quran of the power of the tongue. So let our words speak out against words that destroy. Let our words speak out against hatred against Islamophobia, against racism, against anti-Semitism, against bigotry. Let us speak loudly those words which created this country where all are created equal. With the unalienable, the unalienable rights of life, of liberty, and of the pursuit of happiness. As we, the people, all of us, the people, seek to form a more perfect union and let our words speak loudly around the world, including words we should be hearing from our leaders, as we defend God's creations from destruction. May the all-compassionate one who makes peace in the high heavens above 
continue to give us the strength to make peace here on earth. As I now call upon Dr. Swarit Aurora of the Sikh community. My honorable guests, members of the Islamic Society and members of the Muslim Society of Wisconsin. On behalf of the Sikh Religious Society of Wisconsin and Sikh Temple of Wisconsin, Oak Creek, we express our deep condolences for the departed souls and we heartfully pray for the people who are hurt. Bed. Our churches, our synagogues, our mosques, our temples are supposed to be places of peace, prayers, and respect. Over time, we find that we have trouble, a lot of massacres in synagogues, in temples of Wisconsin, Oak Creek, our churches, and so on. When we go to our temple, we feel that perhaps we don't get any peace anymore. We are surrounded by guns. Everybody's carrying guns around because they are afraid that somebody could come and take their life. And we tell them, please, you are here to do prayers. So don't need guns. But they said, no, we have our security people standing outside. So if we have security people standing outside, protecting our temples, that's just very difficult. Seven of the 51 folks, our friends, our people were killed. They were from India. And <clears throat> I read the stories and you saw their names on the stage. One case hurt me badly. That case, I couldn't have brought tears to my eyes. I could not handle it. That case was Ramres Vora. Ramres Vora was expecting their first child. And wife was in the hospital, and ready for the leave. Expecting that grandparents, Arif Vora and his wife, they came from India, from Hyderabad, India. They came especially to welcome their first grandchild. They were there, so then they took Baby was delivered, most beautiful, young girl, young, beautiful girl, delivering. They took the baby home, then to say thanks to God, thanks to Allah, they came to El Nur Mosque to say their prayers. Both he and his father, they came to say prayers. And now you can imagine both were killed. If both are, and his son Ramras are killed, now baby, it's only five days old. Five days old baby. Mom is still recovering from delivery. And her mother-in-law, just came from India, cannot speak English, can't communicate. So here we have a case that child will not know who her father was. What happened to his grandfather? No. That reminded me of my own history, my own life. I was seven years old when partition of India took place in 1947. There was a lot of hatred, and we would have been killed, or a whole family would have been killed. But our neighbor, Muslim family, stu stood up against hate. They said, no way we're going to let you die. They put their own life at risk to save our life. You know, the reason, it's 
saved our life. They stood up against a Muslim family. People could have come and killed them, but they said, no, we cannot let that happen. My two uncles were burned alive. In a, they were working in a textile factory, and textile factory got fire, they put the fire, and my two uncles were burned alive. So I can tell you that what their families went through, what we went through, I can still, after 71 years, after 71 years, I can still count all the dead bodies floating all around, all the issues. So we had so much. You can never, never, never forget what happens. And now if I look at that little baby, when she will grow up, and she will hear over and over again, what happened? What happened to my dad? So we're saying that all we have to stand up against hate. We pray over and over again, please God, forgive us, bring us peace, and we request our leaders to please make stand. Don't let anything, keep pushing that we have the respect for all religions. We have the respect for immigrants. Color of skin does not matter. Ethnicity doesn't matter. That's all I can say. My prayers are always with you, and we want to work very hard so that hopefully, hopefully in my lifetime, we will be able to achieve some peace. Thank you very much. And then our last uh, speaker from the faith leaders, Dr. John Walton from the American Baptist Church. Good evening. I'm the Reverend Dr. John Richard Walton, Jr., the senior pastor of Calvary Baptist Church of Milwaukee representing solidarity shared by the Judicatories of the Interfaith Conference of Greater Milwaukee and as a member of the American Baptist Churches of Wisconsin under the leadership of Dr. Marie Anwubu Ariri. In a March 20th article entitled, In Wake of Mass Shooting, New Zealand's Arden Calls for Global Fight Against Racism, Dalia Mortada wrote that in response to one of his countrymen being charged with murder, former Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd pointed to a, quote, global social media ecosystem of hatred as responsible for the rise of far-right or alt-right ideology and, quote, Islamophobic, highly racist, unquote, sentiment. The shooter, Mortada says, wrote about a white genocide in a lengthy screed he published minutes before he carried out his attack. While I dare not attempt an authoritative answer to the question as to why he did what he did, I ask you to consider the following as we try to learn why we see such an uptick in hate speech and white nationalist fervor here in North America and in various places of the world today. I am not so much focused on him as I am the culture which socialized him.
This type of socialization goes on all around us. In an article entitled, Avoiding Last Place, Some Things We Don't Outgrow, Princeton professor Ileana Kuzimko writes, quote, people near the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder often oppose policies that help those below them. The phenomenon is called last place aversion. Kuzimko says, quote, it's the basic human need to avoid feeling like we ourselves are in last place, she says, or maybe put a bit more negatively, it's our need to feel like there's at least one person we can feel superior to or look down on. We've seen this repeatedly in this country. As Kuzimko reports, she has found last place aversion throughout U.S. history, including the Jim Crow laws. One study she found argues that Jim Crow was more important to poorer Southern whites than it was to the wealthier plantation class. At the end of the day, just as biting mosquitoes prefer stagnant water in which to breed, white nationalism needs a place to breed also. And everyone in this room knows that we need not travel to Australia to find it. This is why interfaith relationships are so vitally important. We may not all believe or worship the same way, but we all must live in the world together and respect each other and each, each other in agape love. Thank you so much.